GTU. How many people know GTU? Pretty good. Right. Graduate Theological Union is Berkeley's uh, seminary. And whereas Harvard has Harvard Divinity, which is essentially Episcopalian, one denomination, although they have a center for world religion. And Princeton has Princeton Theological, which is Presbyterian, one, one denomination. UC Berkeley, being what it is, has nine denominations, nine seminaries. It's called, that's why they call it Holy Hill. It's the north side, and it's one of Berkeley's better-kept secrets. It's funny. You can ask nine out of ten Berkeleyites if they've ever been on the on the uh, GTU campus, and they may say, uh, is that that uh, you know, north side there? Yeah, Holy Hill. So in 30-plus uh, years ago, those nine seminaries decided to band together and put their administration, their library, and their degree programs together. So I spent 10 years there getting my doctorate and then stuck around to teach. I teach Buddhist-Christian dialogue. This is the eighth year. And uh, every year it's harder and harder to get those papers graded. I just, the idea of a grade is hard. And I'm sure there are classroom teachers here who say, yeah, well, that's the real world. Wake up, you know. You reward achievement and sincerity, and you encourage other people to improve. So I finished grading. And one of the things that... Uh, I was a, a Methodist for the first 14 years of my life in Toledo, Ohio. And while some people say comparisons are odious, on the other hand, it's helpful to know where you've been to get a sense of where you're going. Um, because north, south, east, and west are, in fact, different directions. So one of the best sound bites for 2009 about the Buddhism that we study is that People who set foot on the Buddha's path do so with the hope of imitating the Buddha's accomplishment. That's an interesting concept. There's every promise as you sit for the very first time and watch thoughts rise and fall if you're doing vipassana or ask who if you're doing shamatha, there's every possibility that you will repeat the Buddha's experience, unmediated, not kind of, not partially, but genuine. There's the only thing preventing you from doing what the Buddha did is your vigor and patience, essentially. That's interesting, isn't it, that thought? You know, because most theistic religions, which are most of the religions in the world, can't say that. You don't go to, you don't, you know, start the, shop, the, the Sabbath on, you don't light the, 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 the Shabbos candles thinking that you're going to become Yahweh. Doesn't happen, you know. And uh, no Muslim bows or recites the name of, of God five times a day, hoping that they're going to become Allah. You don't. 
Hinduism the same. So that's an interesting concept that uh, in the Buddha Dharma, one is expected to get the benefits by actually replicating the Buddha's own experience. Interesting idea. We, we go far with that one in Buddhist-Christian dialogue. And um, I wanted to start tonight. What I, what I thought I would talk about is the idea of text into music. Over the years, and I, I explained this last, last week because I was, James is on retreat. And by the way, I'm not James Barris, in case anyone was unclear on that. Uh, not that I would mind being James Barris, but uh, in fact, I'm not. However, James's own practice has been an influence on me because when he, on his 50th birthday, which he celebrated here and at Spirit Rock, when he picked up his old battered Gibson guitar and sang a Crosby, Stills, and Nash song, and everybody sang along with him, I thought, by golly, that is a useful upaya. That's a really good expedient means. How lovely. So I was encouraged to pick up my guitar after 25 years of not touching it. So that's uh, when I began something that has now become a different kind of, and the Christian word is ministry, a different kind of ministry, which is musical storytelling. Um, I've, I am what's called in the world of theology, I'm what's called an exegete. Exegete means somebody who explains text. And I do that a lot. I do it three times a week. Um, and what I explain, essentially, are Mahayana sutras. Um, sutras that came from what's called the northern tradition. And those sutras are, by and large, untranslated, unless you read Chinese, Tibetan, Korean, Japanese, Mongolian. Um, you may not have seen many Mahayana texts to know one from the other. We're hoping to remedy that by doing translating of these texts from Chinese, in particular, as fast as we can. So when those texts come into Western languages, you discover, gee, this, there's, this is a rich treasury. Deeply enter the sutra treasury and have wisdom like the sea that we just chanted in our three refuges. So um, explaining those texts as an exegete would is one thing. And people go, yeah, kind of dry. You know. Can you bring it to life? And so I thought a really good way to do that, and a time-honored way to bring text into people's ears, hearts, eyes, and consciousness is with music behind it. So we don't lack uh, the tradition of bards, tradition of minstrels, the tradition of now come all ye young people and list while I sing. Shakespeare has lots and lots of music in the plays that he uh, put on the stage of the Globe Theater, plus the sonnets, which were probably sung back when. So this is a, an old tradition in the West, and certainly in Asia as well. One thing that you find in the Mahayana Sutras is it always goes prose, verse, prose, verse, prose, verse, 
prose is long lines versus repetitive with a ba-bump, 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 ba-bump. It's meant to, to be sung or chanted. So I thought, um, how nice to, to explore that and take some first steps towards emerging Western Buddhist culture. Find out how those teachings can go deeper into our hearts if we put music behind them. So that's what you're looking at up here with all this paraphernalia. So one I thought, tell a story. Um, this is called the Ballad of Yashodara. And Yashodara is the Buddha's wife. And yes, the Buddha was married. The prince Siddhartha was married before he became the Buddha, before he took off to find out an answer to the question of um, after death what? And the story goes, as people know, that the prince was kept in a pleasure garden, basically the palace that he lived in until he was in his 20s, was a place where nothing got old. These poinsettia leaves here that are all wilted, he wouldn't see those. It would be swapped out for fresh. Uh, nobody got sick. He wouldn't see any Kleenexes that anybody had blown his nose in and dropped in the trash because you go, aren't you feeling well? And it would trigger the latent awareness of impermanence in his mind. He had been predicted at birth, as you know, to be either a great king of India or a great sage. And of course, dad wanted him to be the former, carry on the name and to to keep the dynasty alive. So as conditions happened, the Buddha's driver, charioteer, took him out through the gates to the city. And in rapid succession, the Buddha saw an old person, a sick person, corpse, and then a monastic, a cultivator, a, a sadhu walking through the streets looking very calm and very cool, eyes not looking left and right, and probably holding an alms bowl, and looking as if the person were full. The Buddha was shocked by the first three sights and so inspired by the last sight, the fourth messenger, they say, that he went up and asked the person, what are you doing? The person says, I cultivate the way. What way do you cultivate, asked the prince. And the cultivator said, the path that ends birth and death. Click. Too late, Dad. He's already asked that question. Oops, big trouble ahead. So who can do that, said the prince. And the cultivator said, anyone can, and you will follow me to cultivate the way. So don't you know, that night, Back in the palace, the, his wife, who was pregnant at the time, uh, had been partying, probably as they did every night. And she was already asleep. And he leaned over her bed and said words to the effect of, honey, something's come up. I got to go. <laughs> I'll be back for you, he said. 
because his resolve was big. And so I thought, aha, great moment for a song. Not a Bollywood, you know, not one of those, you know. We're going to the forest. No. It's more like, uh, death is haunting me, said the Buddha. Death is haunting me. And he realized that if he was just going to go on day after day as he had done, he was going to die in ignorance, the technical term avidya, without knowing where he'd been, where he was going, and what he was supposed to do. So that's the story. And the song is called Yashodara. And see what you think. There's one controversial line in here that um, Christians have a problem with, um, particularly because, and, and I say this with all affection, that um, love is considered the highest good. Um, and if love is agape, or compassion, certainly so. But there's a line in the song where the prince goes, death is haunting me, Yashodara, love won't set us free. And that's the technical term of avidya, meaning ignorance covers us. And if we can bring light to the darkness, then selfish personal love becomes impartial, great compassion. So that's where that line comes from. A lot of people, when I sing that straight out, they go, love won't set us free, but love is the highest good. You know, Love is the very means of liberation. So you have to explain that. Then there's the folks who say, yeah, you know, I'd like the story, but you know, he was a deadbeat dad. His wife was pregnant and he skipped. And so, being aware of the reality of that, right? Um, the last line goes, some will say that I'm a fool. Some will say that I'm too cruel. This is the best thing I can do. And when I get free, I'll come back for you. And he did. And his wife, Yashodara, became a nun. And his son, Rahula, became a monk. And an arhat as well, woke up. Prince Siddhartha had a wife. He loved her like he loved life. She was fine and she was fair. When he said goodbye, he said to her, Yashodara, look at where life leads. Yashodara, I'm going to try to get free. I took a little trip into town. I learned that death will cut us down. I woke up by the city wall. Freedom to die is no freedom at all. Yes, shoulder Look at where life leads. Yes, shoulder I'm going to try to get free. 
Like you, I never heard an old man sigh. I never knew that people die like you. I never heard a sick man moan. I learned this body ain't my home. You showed her up. Death is haunting me. You showed her up. Love won't set us free. Controversial line. Agape, right. Then I saw another man who walked in robes with bowl in hand. His eyes looked neither left nor right. His brow was clear, his gaze was bright. I asked him what he did all day. He said, I cultivate the way. I watch my mind, I watch my breath, and in the end, it's life and death. You showed her I couldn't love you more. You showed her That's why I'm walking out this door. Now some will say that I'm a fool, some will say that I'm too cruel. This is the best thing I can do, and when I get free, I'll come back for you, Yeshua. Look at where life leads, Yeshua. I'm gonna try to get free. go so that's um, story into te uh, text into song story into song and that's um, <coughs> kind of a dose of cold water uh, but it's really the founding story of Buddhism which I think is very interesting because it's ongoing now um, if we're talking about text into song there's um, the notion that the Buddha, they say, is doubly complete. He's the, the complete in both blessings and in wisdom. And you need both to do what the Buddha did, to walk that path, both blessings and wisdom. And his, <coughs> excuse me, the accomplishment of the Buddha is that he not only had penetrating insight into the nature of things, he had prajna wisdom that sees through the surface, sees beyond the surface, into what's really going on. Um, he can see root and branch. He sees both cause and effect in a single look. He can see the seed and the fruit. That's what wisdom allows him to do, and that's penetrating wisdom. So what that means is no situation confuses him. Something happens right in front of him, and he knows why and what are the ramifications, what are the options, what are the choices. So that's the wisdom part. 
But that's only half of the Buddha's accomplishment. The other half is the blessings part. And the blessings comes from, essentially, from making people happy, from blessing, from bringing joy to the heart, and from making people feel full and not deficient in any way, not lacking in virtue. So um, having both wisdom and blessings, he becomes the Buddha. Um, the Chinese say, When your blessings and your wisdom are both accomplished, you realize great awakening. Um, they talk about the uh, someone who's one-sided on one or the other. There's an, there's an image from the Theravada tradition. They say, if you have lots of wisdom, but no blessings, you're like an arhat who walks around with an empty alms bowl. You've already put an end to the suffering of birth and death, but you don't have any affinity, so nobody gives you any food. So an arhat with an empty alms bowl is blessings but no wisdom. And they say, and mind you, this image, this metaphor comes from a, a country where there are elephants. So we have to go to the zoo to see elephants. But the other one, if you have blessings and no wisdom, is you're an, you're, uh, an elephant with a beautiful necklace around your neck. The elephant is considered kind of clumsy, although they have good memories and all, and they're very socially uh, sophisticated. On the other hand, they don't have a lot of wisdom, according to this metaphor. But they do have blessings of this beautiful necklace. So uh, an elephant with a necklace has blessings but no wisdom. So if you're the Buddha, you have both wisdom and blessings, so doubly complete. And I thought... How interesting to, um, I'll put you away for now. How interesting to um, look at text that could become song to illustrate both those. Um, one text comes from the Pali tradition, and the other comes from Chinese, actually. So there's both Theravada and Mahayana. The Pali may be one that you chanted before. If you chant with the, the monks from Abhayagiri or wherever you chant, uh, you may have run across the Mahamangala Sutta, that people know, the Sutra of Great Blessings. The, it has a refrain. It goes, this is the highest blessing. Let's see here. This is the highest blessing. This is too high. Put him away. Try this. There we go. This is the highest blessing. This is the highest blessing. Like that. Um, and the situation is that a deva comes down. And the Buddha was in the Jada Grove, which is a place where he spent many retreats. You can go to the Jada Grove in India, and it's a place of, of grassy lawns and cool shade trees, lots of water. And uh, the Buddha, with his disciples, went to the Jada Grove and spent lots of time. And a deva came down one night, uh, a devi, a female goddess, and shed light and lit up the whole Jada Grove. And uh, here was the Buddha 
meditating. She went over and uh, bowed in respect, put her palms together, and waited for the Buddha to, to give her an audience. And she sang these words to the Buddha, says, says the text. Many gods and humans wanting to live right think about blessings. Please tell us, what are the greatest blessings? That's the question. So she requested the Dharma. Now, interesting question is, what's, what's righteous? How, do I, how, sh how should we live? Suppose we decided that blessings and wisdom are something that we want in our lives. Then, given that's a decision, what's the next step? What do I do? How do I accomplish blessings and wisdom? How do I live righteously? So the Buddha answers her in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10 very direct instructions. And each of the 10 is multiple. There's three or four um, encouragements in each of these answers. And it's they're given in a um, not declarative. What's what's the grammatical tense where you tell it's do this? Imperative. They're given as imperative. Thank you. Um, that'll be on the quiz later. So. so they're imperatives in the imperative voice. Indeed, it's a voice. The imperative voice. Do this. He says. Do this and do this and do this. He says, stay away from fools. Draw near the wise. Honor people who are worthy of honor. These are the greatest blessings. Now, of course, if you are the fool, and you know, so what do you do? Stay away from stay away from your most foolish habits. How's that? You know, be aware of them and gradually, bit by bit, change them towards wise habits. So the the fools are not necessarily those that two-legged person over there. It could also be my own blind spots. Um, live in a suitable place. And suitable could be, you know, find your roots, it could be. Live where you belong, where you feel related. Own your merit from the past. So allow your own roots of goodness to, to root you, to draw up the nutrition from where you're living in the soil which, of course, implies your community. Set your feet on the straight road. These are the highest blessings, says the Buddha. What else? He says, to be learned, or be learned. In other words, study when you can. Always uh, increase your knowledge, your awareness. Be learned. Be good with your hands. I like that one. That could be... Uh, uh, canning tomatoes. Um, it could be, as my mom reminds me, the mantra from the Depression, which may be very useful in the next several years. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. That was her mantra growing up with five siblings in the, in the 30s. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. Why? There isn't another one. Make it do or do without. Turn it over. Restitch it. You know, patch it. Make it work. Learn how to repair your brooms. 
Uh, in India, my goodness, I was just in Mayapur. And in India, twig brooms, it wasn't a broom before he grabbed the bunch of twigs. And then it's a broom, very effective. And there's a motion that allows you to sweep. And then you, it's a non-broom as soon as he drops the twigs. You know. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. So be good with your hands. Learn discipline and speak skillfully, not with a club. Not Don't let your words club people. These are the greatest blessings. Support your mother and father. In other words, filial conduct. Keep related to your elders. See them as the blessing that they are. Support mother and father. Cherish spouse and children and work a peaceful occupation. So that's proper livelihood. It's one of the Eightfold Path. These are the greatest blessings. Be generous in your giving. Be righteous in your action. Help your relatives and be blameless in your deeds. It's an interesting idea. Live as if every action was seen by ten eyes. Five people were watching. That's the my name, actually, is Zhen. Ten, it's the Chinese character has ten eyes. It means true, my Dharma name. So live as if every action was, was visible. To loathe evil and to abstain from it. Never use intoxicants. To be steadfast in virtue, these are the highest blessings. Be respectful, humble, contented, and grateful. Listen to the Dharma when you can. These are the highest blessings, says the Buddha. Be patient, obedient. I like this one. Associate with monks and nuns. And join religious discussions when you can every Thursday night. These are the greatest blessings. And because, what's the name of the website, Mac? The, where this is posted? dharmaseed.org Insight Meditation Community at Berkeley or dharmaseed.org Google dharmaseed, S-E-E-D .org Okay, and that will allow you to join religious discussions when you can. Although it's kind of one-sided, it comes out of your speakers, but um, it should prompt, you can have that discussion inside yourself. Just chew over it. Get ready for the next Thursday night. Self-restraint, leading a pure and modest life. Perceiving the noble truths and the realization of nirvana. These are the highest blessings, says the Buddha. These are the greatest. I said highest, greatest is the word we're using here. Maha Mangala, the greatest blessings. A mind unmoved by the turns of fortune, free from sorrow, from defilement, and liberated from fear. These are the greatest blessings. So a lifelong project to keep your mind unmoved by the winds of fortune or misfortune, free from sorrow, defilement, liberated from fear. These are the greatest blessings. Then the conclusion, I like the conclusion, he says, People who live their lives on principle come out on top. Their happiness is assured. These are the
the greatest blessings. So there's the text. Let's see if we can put it into music. are the greatest blessing. These are the greatest blessing. Try that. These are the greatest blessing. Okay, that's we'll do it. Let's do it twice after each verse, and I'll give you the cue is this. These are the greatest blessing. Let's do it again. Here we go. These are the greatest blessing. So I'm going to give the line. These lines are of uneven length, so it's a little bit tricky. So I've got to give you the cue, which is. Here we go. These are. The greatest blessing. Okay, you got it. Here we go. I have heard at one time the exalted one was staying at the town of abundant blessings in the Jata Grove in an Pindicus Park. Now the night was late, and the deva drew near, shedding light that lit up the entire Jata Grove. She found the Buddha, walked up, paid her respects, and stood to one side and from there she sang these words to the exalted one any gods and humans wanting to live right think about blessings please tell us What are aha, the greatest blessing? Ask the question again. What are the greatest blessings? Okay, so now the Dharma has been requested. She's asked the Dharma to turn the Dharma wheel. And the Buddha said, stay away from fools. But make friends with the wise. I like this. I get to speak in the Buddha's voice. It's really nice. To... Can you hear the Buddha? Da, 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 di, da, da, da. Kind of a little bit, you know, calypso. Stay away from fools, but make friends with the wise and honor people. Who are worthy of honor? Here we 
we go. These are the greatest blessings. These are the greatest blessings. When you put music behind it, it goes in deeper. Live in a suitable place. Own your merit from the past and set your feet to walk a straight road. These are the greatest blessings. These are the greatest blessings to be learned to be good with your hands, to learn discipline and speak skillfully. These are the greatest blessings. These are greatest blessings to support your mother and father to cherish spouse and children and to work a peaceful occupation these are greatest blessing these are greatest blessings to be generous in giving to be righteous in action to help your relatives and be blameless in your deeds are the greatest blessings. These are the greatest To abstain from evil, to never use intoxicants, and be steadfast in virtue. These are the greatest blessings. These are the greatest to be respectful, humble, contented and grateful, and to listen to the Dharma when you can. These are the 
greatest blessing. These are the greatest blessings. Listening to all of you sing is one of the greatest blessings. To be patient and obedient to associate with monks and to join religious discussions when you can these are the greatest blessings self-restraint a pure and modest life the perception of the noble truths and to realize nirvana these are greatest blessings these are the greatest blessings a mind unmoved by the turns of fortune free from sorrow from defilements and liberated from fear these are the greatest blessings these are the greatest blessings Now people who live their lives on principle come out on top, their happiness assured. That's so good, let's do it again. People who live their lives on principle come out on top their happiness assured last time these are the greatest blessings these are the greatest blessings So that's um, the blessing part. That's half of the, uh, the Buddha's accomplishment. But those are words directly from the Buddha's wisdom about how to cultivate the greatest blessings so that things turn out. Your success is assured. You wind up on top. 
You also wind up on Dharma Seed. Indeed, you do. Next week, as soon as it's posted. Count on that. What a way to start 2009. For the wisdom part, I want to tell you a story. We've got, oh, just, we can just open this in a little bit. Um, there is um, a monk from the Tang Dynasty whose posthumous name, because he came in, um, he was highly regarded as an awakened monk. So he got a name after his death of. Uh, the master from Yongjia, and Yongjia is a place in China. It's near, it's not too far from uh, Shanghai. And Yongjia, um, it's an honorific. You get, you could be called the layperson from Berkeley, or from Marin. You could be called the wise, the sage from Marin, if you woke up at Spirit Rock, right? And they would call you the by the place instead of your name. Um, he was a practitioner at the time of the sixth patriarch, Master Huineng. Um, and Master Huineng was remarkable among the other monks of the Chan tradition, which then gave rise to the Zen tradition. In Japan, the Chan tradition um, in that over 30 people awoke under his instructions. Um, he was illiterate to begin with. When he himself woke up, he was a layperson, not a monk. He became a monk much later. And he saw the nature. He saw the Buddha nature. He was awake to that thing that they say everyone possesses in full, that no one lacks. So Master Yongjia, there's a great story. Uh, this is called the Six Patriarch Sutra. Um, it's a, a text from, not from the Buddha, but from 1,300 years later. And the conversation between the Six Patriarch and this monk who became known as Master Yongjia is recorded. It's a great conversation. It's one of those terrific conversations. The story goes that uh, the sixth patriarch had one of his earlier, earlier awakened uh, disciples wandering through Zhejiang province and kind of soliciting talent because the uh, sixth patriarch wanted to gather as many uh, people into the Dharma as possible. So Xuan Xuanche was the monk who was walking around, and he heard that there was this mm, very unusual cultivator, meditator, uh, in the valley, in the, the village called Yongjia. And so he went to find him. Sure enough, he was really impressed. He said, this guy's got it. 
We said, why don't you go look for my teacher? And uh, the, uh, the monk said, well, can't you just, you know, I'm already awake. Why don't you just certify me right here? And the disciple said, oh, I can't do that. You know, the tradition is you can't really certify yourself, and I'm not qualified. You have to go meet with someone who has the, what's called the mind seal, um, and they'll pass it on to you. And that person is here now, and he's just over there at Cao Xi at Cao Creek. So go down to Southern Flower Temple, Nanhua Si, and look up Master Hui Neng, the Sixth Patriarch, and he'll certify that, in fact, you're awake, and you can be in the line of awakened uh, teachers. And so not one to waste time, the monk, the, the man who became Master Yongjia immediately did that. He got a staff and he set off for Caoxi. And what did he do? Now protocol, you know, the, the, the Buddha's Sangha is, it's kind of like a YMCA. You know, you show up, you get the benefits and you scatter. They're, the monks are called yun shui, clouds and water monks. They don't hang around. They come and go. And so within to keep any kind of structure, when people come from all the compass points and all different directions, all different levels of ability, you have to have a certain amount of protocol and decorum. So it's fitting that when you come to meet a res respected senior teacher, you bow, you show your respects. And so Master Yongjia shows up, and what does he do? He comes in with his staff, and he bong, 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 beats his staff three times and stands there, stiff as a board, kind of glaring at the Sixth Patriarch, right? Hmm. Like that. And then he walks around him slowly three times, bong, 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 strikes his staff three times again. So the Sixth Patriarch now is no pushover. Now this is the, the, the guy who, illiterate, heard the Diamond Sutra being recited in the, way, in the marketplace where he was collecting wood and woke up at the first hearing of the Diamond Sutra. And so uh, the Sixth Patriarch says to him, now he says, uh, shramanas, cultivators, monks, perfect their 3,000 awesome deportments and their 80,000 subtle practices. Uh, so where did you come from, and what makes you so arrogant, he said. And so Yongjia stands his ground. He says, birth and death is really the issue. Impermanence comes fast, he said. So we realize now we're in a Dharma gunfight, right? He just, bam, bam, bam. He just shot, you know. The young punk comes into town, you know. So he just shot. And so the sixth patriarch goes, yeah, okay. Um, he said, well, why don't you, since you said that birth and death is really important, that's the issue and impermanence comes quickly, why don't you just embody non-birth and demonstrate what is not quick. Show me something that's not fast, he said. So, oh man, so 
Yongjia stares at him and says, My body was never born. There's nothing fast and nothing slow, he said. You all get that much, right? Okay. Bam, 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 right? Shooting back. All right. So what did the six patriarchs say? He said, Ru shi, ru shi. That's just the way it is, he said. So he concedes round one to the challenger. All right. So having certified that the body is not born and that there's nothing fundamentally quick or slow, Master Yongjia sets down his staff and with utterly perfect deportment makes three full bows to his teacher. Just perfect. He knows exactly how to bow. He just chose not to. So now he realizes that this is truly, he was testing the sixth patriarch. And so he says, all right, I've got to go back. Time for me to go. Sixth patriarch says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. He says, aren't you leaving too quickly? He says, tweaking him again. And so the master Yong Jia says, but in fact, I don't move. So how could I be quick? Right? I don't. Okay. I don't move. How could I be quick? He says. That sounds profound. I, that must be deep, right? Okay. So Six Patriarch says, Well, who knows that you don't move? In other words, who's in there, you know, judging duality again? So they're jumping from beyond duality back into thoughts and words. Fundamentally, I don't move. How could I be quick? He says. Six Patriarch says, well, who knows that you don't move? If you, if you have no self, then who's in there knowing that you don't move? And Master Yong Jia says, sir, you yourself made that discrimination, not me. So they're pushing hands. This is like a Taiji pushing hands match. right? So Six Patriarch says, you really got the idea of the deathless. You really have the idea of the deathless. Yong Jia says, but the deathless is not an idea. He says, it's getting hot and fast here, isn't it? Isn't this good? And so the Sixth Patriarch says, well, if deathless is not an idea, then who discriminates ideas and not ideas? And Master Yong Jia says, in fact, the thing that discriminates is not an idea either. You all got that much, right? It's like, whew. What discriminates is not an idea, he says. Sixth Patriarch says, good indeed, really good. Just spend the night. Just calm down and spend the night, he said. So from that time on, do you all want to hear that all again? Would you benefit by it? No, I don't think so. So that's how those old Chan stories go, right? So he, from that time on, the, uh, the Master Yong Jia was called the overnight enlightened one because he got enlightened, spent the night, and went back the next, the next day and for the next 30 years became the enlightened master from Yong Jia. And he himself went on to teach those uh, many students. So I, you know, I'm always tickled by that because 
clearly something's going on, but you can't quite grasp the level they're talking at. Essentially, they're trying to get to something that is empty and then doesn't know emptiness. Something that's empty and then empties itself out. You empty out emptiness and you come right back to present thought, but without clinging. And in that dialogue, uh, they're working on language itself, language and thought. So, okay, Master Yongjia wrote something called the Song of Enlightenment. He left behind a lot of literature, but this is the most famous uh, of his of his uh, creations. And time is up, but I thought I would give you just a taste of the Song of Enlightenment, um, put into the idiom of the 21st century in North America, right? So here's a Tang Dynasty enlightened monk who, who is willing to push hands with the sixth patriarch, who's fearless, right? And who really sees the nature. And here's what he comes up with. Don't seek for the true. Don't cut off the false. Know that false and true alike are gone without a trace. Not a trace itself is gone. Then empty emptiness. You've found the thus come one's true mark where nothing can't exist. You want to hear that again? Don't seek for the true. Don't cut off the false. Know that false and true alike are gone without a trace. In other words, get rid of duality entirely. Not a trace itself is gone. Then empty emptiness. You found the thus come one's true mark where nothing can't exist. So if you stop in nothing, it doesn't survive because everything is really here because of our karma. Don't seek for the true. Don't cut off the false. Know that false and true alike are gone without a trace. Not a trace itself is gone. Empty emptiness. You've found the thus come one's true mark where nothing can't exist. The high and lonesome sound near Tsao Creek. Right? High and lonesome sound from Tsao Shi. The mirror of the mind is bright without a flaw. Everything's reflected. You can see it all. All 10,000 things reflected, perfect, round, and bright. No inside, no outside, just awesome, pure light. That's the Chinese. That's what it says. Don't struggle with false thoughts, looking for the true. The seeking and rejecting mind will play its tricks on you. The meditator who decides to focus on this one will find in sorrow he mistook a thief 
for his son. Give you one more and we'll quit. Mind is the root. Dharmas are all dust. Mind and dharmas both are like a mirror stained and cracked. Polish out the stains and cracks. The mirror shines like new. Forget both mind and dharmas. The nature now is true. Anyway, that's an attempt to put uh, Tang Dynasty obscure Dharma text into West Virginia. And Bill Monroe and his bluegrass boys. All right, so you heard it here for the first and maybe the last time. Who knows? So it'll be on Dharma Seed, thanks to the, the tireless volunteers. Hey, hey. All right. And James every week. Right. So go to dharmaseed.org. All right. Uh, let's have a week of blessings and send your merit out to the Middle East. Uh, I understand there are troops massing the Gaza, the Gaza border, and that's not a good thing. Um, or just be kind to your elders. You know, 2009 is going to be physically a hard time, but relationship-wise, it can be a time of incredible blessings. Relating to our elders is a really good way to start. Our kids are watching us, learning how to be filial, and uh, we really are monkey see, monkey do. We haven't progressed that much, and if they see us being kind to our parents, then when the roles are switched, they'll be kind to us. See you next week. Blessings. Happy 2000. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.